0: Lynn and I have been watching uh, the Olympics, and uh, it's uh, there's a girl that's in trouble. She was born in San Francisco, has Chinese parents, and she is skating for China. And everybody's in an uproar about that. Um, she sees her role as a citizen as a representative. And so a lot of us um, have different views of what citizenship is. It's a, uh, a bone of contention um, these days. I thought that before I began the, the sermon, because it is on... Uh, Fellow citizens, we probably ought to know what our terms mean. So I got out my dictionary this morning and I looked up some terms. So citizenship, the status of a citizen with rights and duties. Okay. Uh, But what's a citizen? (coughs) A citizen is a native or a naturalized member of a state or other political community. Okay. A community. A group of people having a particular characteristic in common. Sometimes dictionaries don't help much. <coughs> polity. Uh, that's the actual word used in the text that we'll look at uh, this morning. We talk about church polity. How is the church organized? Uh, who, who runs the place? Uh, that's part of church polity. Polity, the form of government of a social organization. Okay. Political, I was a political science major when I was in college, so all of these terms were familiar to me, and that's why I'm giving you the definitions, because what I know may not be what you know, and so I want to make sure we're all on the same wavelength before we begin. Political, related to your, no, it has nothing to do with political parties. Uh, Political, related to your views about social relationships involving authority or power, involving where that authority resides. And who holds and rightfully exercises power within that community. So, this is our preface to the sermon. We Christians have a very unique view of citizenship. Why is that? Because our status, our community, our form of government, and our relationships are all centered in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what makes us unique and special. And that's why this idea of citizenship that we're going to go into... Um, needs to take on a slightly different meaning that you might be used to. Because Christ holds all authority. Christ holds all authority in heaven and on earth. And he rightfully exercises all power among us. We are his flock and he is our shepherd. Forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning asking to hear from you. We desperately need to hear from you this morning, Lord God. We need to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, enable us to hear and understand and to see the things of the kingdom in ways perhaps that we haven't before. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, fellow citizens, today we're going to look at our citizenship in heaven. It's important for us as Christians to keep in mind that we are sojourners and exiles in this world. Bill, you always beat that drum. Yes, I know. And I will continue to beat that until I go to be with the Lord. This is not our home. But we didn't realize that when we were apart from Christ. We thought this world was our home. We didn't know that we were in search of a better country, of a heavenly one, where God has prepared a city for us. And not until we heard the gospel. That's when we all of a sudden discovered what that was. But now, as believers, we know that the better country we've been searching for is the kingdom of heaven. And the city that awaits us is the new Jerusalem. That's where our hearts and minds should be fixed, and that is where we belong. But while we're here on earth, till, till then, while we're here on earth, we're commanded to faithfully serve Christ together, united as one, because we're united to Christ each of us is a necessary member of his body. We've each received gifts to invest in his gospel business and to grow his business as he taught us to do. He physically left us for a while, but he'll return in glory. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we have we have something to do. We have his spirit to teach us the things of Christ and to comfort us with the love of Christ. But there are things for us to do while we are still here. And that's what this message is about this morning. We are exploring Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 today. Please turn there if you haven't already. The last four verses, verses 19 through 22, are the conclusion to verses 11 through 18. So we'll begin with the end in mind. At its core, this passage is about the purpose of God's church. This is about the purpose of God's church. Why have we been gathered? It follows on from verses 1 through 10 which Jason beautifully portrayed last week. We once were children of wrath, but God made us alive together with Christ. Verse 19. So then, therefore, consequently, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Ooh, cool cornerstone, huh? <clears throat> in whom the whole structure from its foundation to its walls to its heavenly roof, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You also are being built together. You, who were separated from God and from one another. Yes, I'm adding this to it, to explain it. And from one another are being built together together assembled into a dwelling place for God, not by anything you can do, but by the spirit. Ha! You are no longer strangers and aliens as you once were. You now are fellow citizens with the saints. Your loyalties, your loyalties have changed from serving this fragile world with its sinful appetites to serving the eternal kingdom of God. Your loyalties have changed. Now members of the household of God, you're no longer your own. You were bought at a price. And now you're also no longer on your own. And that's the good news. You're no longer on your own. That's why we've been gathered together as the body of Christ, as the family of God. Now that's a lot to wrap our minds around, so let's see how we get to this conclusion. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, you foreigners, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. What? That is, you who were once derided by the Jews for not having a mark in the flesh to identify you as Jews, remember that you were at that time, back then, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, The word for commonwealth is citizenship alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They were, these Gentiles, us, were outsiders without a covenant, without hope and without God. That's what they used to be. That's what we used to be. They were non-citizens having no rights or privileges of citizenship. They weren't natural born citizens of the kingdom of God. They needed to become naturalized citizens. They needed to be made citizens of the kingdom because they couldn't do it on their own. Jonathan Edwards once said, Every sinner is naturally an alien and stranger. But in his conversion, he forgets his own people and his father's house, and he becomes a fellow citizen with the saints and a true Israelite. And yet something, something, something must qualify us and mark us as believers, as those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? Because otherwise, how would we know that we belong to his kingdom? That mark, that mystery is Christ in them. That's what it says in Colossians 1:27. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, in him. Not just by him, but in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, in himself, is our peace. Who has made us both one. That is both Jews and Gentiles. Both those who are heirs of the promise to Abraham. Made by, uh, by, through natural lineage. And those who have been made heirs by the blood of Christ. Those who came by the blood and those who came by faith. There are those who are born of the seed of Abraham and those who are adopted. I broke down in tears this morning watching how many of the lyrics of uh, of the music this morning are speaking about these very things, things that we sing about, things that we know, things that are familiar to us, and yet perhaps they haven't sunk in as to what they actually mean. Made heirs by the blood of Christ, adopted the seed of Christ by faith. The two are now one in Christ, equal heirs, both by faith in him. Both of those groups by faith in him have become one are united together. That's us. There's no separation anymore among us. Cannot be, must not be. Why? Because we are all united to Christ and that's where we find our unity. That's where we come to common ground. That's where we have one head. Those who once were enemies of Jews... And of Christ and of God have been brought near and have been seated at his table under his tent, under his care and his protection. Verse 14, Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Why was that? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. And what's the effect? What's the consequence of that? So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, as we heard during communion this morning. As Isaiah prophesied, by his stripes we are healed. By Christ's sacrifice, a way was opened to end our war with God and to be at peace with him and with one another and with one another. In, even with ourselves and our own conscience, anybody here ever been at war with yourself and your conscience? You just can't get your head on straight. You, you know, you, your conscience is troubling you, and it keeps pecking at you, saying, "Yo, that wasn't right. Yo, you didn't, you, you didn't say that right. You didn't do that right. You didn't." And the conscience keeps pestering us. But in Christ, our conscience goes quiet. We are at peace with our own conscience. Verse seventeen, and he came and preached. Peace to you who were far off, meaning the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit. We both have access in one spirit, in that same spirit, to the Father. And this refers to the promise of the Spirit who is given to every believer as the seal and the deposit and the guarantor of what is to come. He is the means by which the name of God is imprinted on his people. The Holy Spirit is the means by which the name of God is imprinted on his people. It marks us as his people. And what's the result? What are the rights and privileges that he grants to us as citizens of this kingdom of heaven? Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Literally, you are the household of God. Whoa. Built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's a lot to digest. That's probably what's going on. There's a lot to digest in those three verses. So let's take some time to work through them. It is profound and it's glorious. It describes who we are in Christ together as one. It describes who we are here, sitting here this morning, as one in Christ Jesus. But it also describes our responsibilities. No, no, I, 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 like, I like the privileges. I like the rights. You know, what this about responsibilities and duties? And anyway, we have shared rights. We have shared rights as fellow citizens, co-heirs with Christ, responsibilities because of who we are. The responsibilities come because of who we are and because of what we are, because of what we're being built into. We've been gathered together for a purpose. We've been gathered together for a purpose, and that purpose has a hold on us. It makes a claim on our lives. We were saved from death and hell, but we were also saved too Two, something else. We were saved to be three things. And I'll put these up on the board for you. We were saved to be dutiful servants of our king. We were saved to be fellow servants of one another. And we were to be an abode. A habitation, a place of permanent habitation where God dwells by his spirit. That ought to rock your world. <laughs> we are an abode and a, ha- and a habitation of God Himself here among us this morning, and everywhere we go, He goes with us and we go in Him. Wow. Where's Jason's slide? Pew. We once were disobedient to God. That's who we once were. We once were children of wrath, foolish, deceived. Slaves to our lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But we have been saved through the washing of rebirth. If you wonder where all this stuff is coming from, I didn't think it up. This is from scriptures. So if you look, there's, you know, an eight point down below on the bottom of your handout. Okay. Four lines of this stuff. That's where that came from. That was Titus 3, 3 through 5. We once were not a people. We had nothing in common. We once were not a people. We we're not like each other. But now we are God's people. We had not received his mercy. But now we've received that mercy in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.10 Jesus Christ is the believer's representative before the throne of God. He governs us. So if citizenship has to do with governance, if polity has to do with governance, who is our governor? And the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. We did not choose him, he chose us. He made us citizens of heaven. All who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation are citizens of the kingdom of God. All, every one of them, who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation are citizens in the kingdom of God. We are beneficiaries of the covenant of grace. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That's our right in him. In fact, whatever rights we have, we have because of him. They are embodied in him. We have the right to become and to call ourselves the children of God. That's from John one twelve. I read that the first time I, I was a new Christian. And I went, I, I have that as a right? I can, I, can, I can rightfully call myself a child of God. <laughs> I didn't used to be able to do that. I can do that now. I can call myself a child of God. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that's our primary right, as a matter of fact. As citizens of heaven, that is our primary right is to call ourselves the children of God. We have the right to petition God in prayer with Christ as our mediator. He is our king. More than that, he is our righteous king. He's not above the law. Rather, he fulfills the law. He doesn't usurp his authority nor rob us of our liberty. To the contrary, he sets us free. His rule is a perfect rule. It is a blessing and it is a privilege to have Christ as our king. He showers us with gifts we didn't earn or observe or deserve. And he fills us with joy we never expected. All my life I was waiting for that joy to come. And it wasn't until I came to Christ that I found that joy that I just could not express in words. I had no words for it. He's the firstborn over all creation. The government is upon his shoulders, not ours. We don't need to protect ourselves against him like we do against earthly governments because he's our protector. His rule is eternal and it's just and it's loving and it is to be eternally celebrated. What are we going to do in heaven? That. We can stand firm in Christ. We will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Why? Because he's able to make us stand. We sometimes sing this, Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not ashamed, for I am your God and will give you aid. I'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Our Lord is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is even Lord of heaven. And earth. So there are several blessings that come with citizenship in heaven. These are on your handout. So as I go through these, you've got a list of them. For those of you who don't have a handout, nah, 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 nah. <coughs> Number one, we'll put them up on the board for you. Number one, we are no longer aliens, strangers. The word for stranger is xenos. That's where we get the word xenophobia. And we're no longer foreigners. That word refers to someone who lives somewhere without having the rights of citizenship there. Oh, it's like all tied together. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, and here's the joy of it. Here's the joy of coming into a body of Christ of all different kinds. We're all Adam's race, every single one of us. We're all Adam's race from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. Gathered under the roof of God, our young and old, Rich and poor, common and cultured, male and female, slave and free, we're all made one in Christ Jesus. We're all made one of the same cut because we all belong to Christ. Number two, we're now, didn't used to be, but we are now fellow citizens with the saints. Contrary to being strangers and foreigners, we have been made fellow citizens with the saints. With the holy ones of God. Hagios, that's what that word means. A saint is a holy one. Well, I ain't no saint. (laughs) Yeah, we all know. Um, But anyway. That Greek word for fellow citizens means that we're under the same government. The Greek word for fellow citizens is a single word and it means we are under the same government. We have the same king ruling over us both, ruling over all of us together. He is Jesus Christ. We have been grafted into Israel. We've been grafted into Israel partaking of that same holy root and all of its richness. That means when you read through the Old Testament, you say those are the foundations of my faith in the New Testament. All of those are the promises. All of those are the covenants. All of those are the um, revelations of who God is to me and who I am to him. And so when you read that and you see it all fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ's New Testament, you go, whoa, because it's all one thing. Because it's all one thing. Number three, we're now members of the household of God. Together. Together, we are a dwelling place for him by his spirit. The word for habitation or for dwelling place only shows up twice in the New Testament. One is here in Ephesians. The other is in John's Revelation. And there, it's used to describe where the other guys live. Those who are not citizens of the kingdom. It says, it is a dwelling place of demons, a Prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird, Revelation 18:2. That's a stark con- uh, contrast that we see there, between those whose citizenship is on earth and those whose citizenship is in heaven. Both have a permanent residence that awaits them when Christ returns. Those who belong to Christ who are made citizens of heaven will dwell with God forever in his presence. It will not be taken from them. It was pledged to them by God himself and so it shall be theirs. So it shall be ours. That is what the pledge has been to us. That is what we are looking forward to as we just finished singing. Another one brought tears to my eyes. Stop that. So... But for those who live as the enemies of the cross and all that it stands for, there is, also, there is also a permanent abode that awaits them upon Christ's return. It is a prison and it is a cage reserved for every unclean and hated creature. They will be bound there for eternity as things forbidden to the people of God to bring to his table. We see this in Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is Philippians three eighteen through 21. It will be up on the board for you for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with mind set on earthly things that's where they have their citizenship but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body how by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Authority, power, citizenship. Do you see the ties? Do you see how all the threads fit together? Is it beginning to coalesce for you? How important this citizenship is. But what God redeems through Jesus Christ, what he makes clean by his blood, is clean indeed. And must not be called unclean. And so often in the church we do that. We call one another unclean. Somehow or other we don't conform to somebody's standard. Of what a good Christian should look like. And we go oh you need to change your ways. Oh you need to conform to the image of of Christ. As I have it in my head. As if to say. I'm your judge. Scripture says. Stop that. This thing about not calling others unclean. That's what God told Peter in his vision on the rooftop as the sheet descended with forbidden foods. And that's what we were in God's sight. What the Gentiles were until God made them clean and made them acceptable and made us acceptable. Calling them to faith in Christ, which cleansed them from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Sparkling clean. White. White. And that takes us to a fourth blessing that comes with our citizenship in heaven. Number four, we have a firm foundation on which to stand. We have a firm foundation on which to stand. This household is built on the rock and not on sand. As we opened up this morning's worship service. By those who do the word of God. By those who do the word of God. It's built to withstand the storms of life. It is built for that very reason, to withstand the storms of life. And they come at us unexpectedly, don't they? Some of them are over quickly, like some sort of snow squall. Others are long-term storms that we wrestle with all our life. There are storms of life, and you need to be built on the rock. You need to stand on the rock. You need to have that as your foundation if you're going to withstand those storms. Every adversity that we encounter, it will remain standing. That house that we are building, that we have been gathered together into, will remain standing when it's on the rock. Christianity was not a new creation at Christ's coming. It was founded upon Christ and in Christ who is eternal. The kingdom is like its king. It was and is and is to come. God spoke of the kingdom in Exodus. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It arrived with Christ, but it had its beginning in eternity past in the mind of God. Wrap your mind around that one. (laughs) We know that each believer was chosen in Christ by name before the foundation of the earth. Each will be found, each and every one will be found in him on the day that he returns. And each will continue in him from that day onward unto eternity. The foundations of the Holy Temple spoken of here in Ephesians were being prepared by the prophets of old. That's what this passage is saying. They acted under the authority of God's revealed word, doing the work which he gave them to do in their generation. And so must we do the work assigned to us in our generation. And when Christ came, the kingdom was ushered in with him. He said so. It's from Luke 17, the kingdom of God is not coming with is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, "Look, here it is," or "There, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you." Welcome to the kingdom of God. Can you see it? And upon His ascension, the construction of the holy temple began apace. It's being built on the mount of God, at Zion, in the heavenlies. At Zion, in the heavenlies, not. These walls, those walls. In the new Jerusalem with its shadow here on earth in the midst of God's people, we in this church, the church itself is a shadow of what is to come of the new Jerusalem. Now imperfect, but then, then when it descends, it shall be perfect. Then our joy will be complete. Then we'll see him face to face. Oh, looking forward to that day. This is almost too much to be taken in, too much to wrap our minds around. And yet that's what's being described here in verse 20. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of this household. This heavenly temple. Now wait a minute, when I came here this morning, I was thinking, I'm entering into a heavenly temple? What is that? You know, and yet that's who we are in the sight of God. That's what we've been called to be in the sight of God. We together are a holy temple of God. Uh, I don't see that when I look in the mirror when I get up in the morning. I don't either. But, But the truth is what the truth says, right? We are a holy temple of God. That's what we've been gathered to do, to be. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of this household, this heavenly temple. The whole structure of it is joined together. Its walls are united to and they are aligned to the cornerstone. Anybody ever built a house besides Mark? You lay a cornerstone. What does that mean? You you align the corners. Let's say it's square. Okay. And uh, my house is going to face this. I've got to align that so that it's going to meet up with the direction that it's supposed to have in the end. Because once I set that sucker in place, the walls that I build are going to come right off of that cornerstone. And as straight as that is, that's how straight as the wall is going to be. And if it's got a squared corner, the corners of the walls of the house are going to be squared. That cornerstone sets everything in its place. Christ is that cornerstone. Everything is built upon him, aligned to him. In our class on prayer this morning, we said that prayer is to get us to align with God's will in Christ. The reason why we pray, get our head on straight. Align ourselves with that cornerstone so that everything that flows from it is straight and true. These walls are built of living stones. That's how Peter described it. That's you and me and every other believer in Christ. We are living stones in the walls of this holy temple. Put this up on the board for you. First Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What makes them acceptable? Because they're made acceptable through Jesus Christ. Oh, everything I touch is tainted. Yes, but everything he touches is holy. Yes, and so if I'm going to approach God, I approach God clothed in Christ. Yes, everything I offer is offered in Christ. Yes, that's why faith is so important. Yes, (laughs) oh, so that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a consistency to this image throughout the Old and New Testaments. God has carefully and lovingly chosen each stone each one of you each one is not only unique in its size and shape but in its relation to the other stones each one needs the other stones to stand firm in its place together we comprise an altar to God made without human tools that's from Exodus 20 25 which no human mortar can hold together anyway that's you that's me that's us together this slide that we have up between all the verses you notice this is dry stone wall there's no mortar in between that it's built on a firm foundation and then all those stones hold each other in place i have a dry stone wall in my front yard i'm gonna put a picture of my house up on the board for you whoa (laughs) i have a dry stone wall in my front yard the stones came from various rivers around colorado Dumped by a dump truck, but they came from all over the state of Colorado, from all kinds of rivers. They once were strangers, those stones, to one another. Shaped in the rapids till their rough edges had worn off. I had to fit each stone in place in such a way that they wouldn't fall. Now they form one wall. Huh. Lynn and I laid that wall in 2003, still standing. Christ is building us into a wall and for all eternity we will declare and proclaim and celebrate the fact it's still standing. And here's a fifth blessing of citizenship. We're being built into a holy temple. This is something that's being done to us and yet it's something in which we willingly participate. Look at verses 21 and 22. This structure built on an existing foundation grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That is in Jesus Christ. For apart from him, we can do nothing, right? In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in or by his spirit. Here's a fascinating picture. In English, you could say, you know, together we're building a dwelling place for God. Or you could say, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Same words, very different meaning. We're not building together. We are being built together. We're being built by God into a dwelling place for God. And that has all kinds of ramifications for us individually and as a church, as a gathering of the saints. That's what the church is. That's what the word means. Ecclesia, a gathering. In The Old Testament, the Hebrew word means an assembly those were assembled together, called out, in order to gather together. That's the church, and this is where we're going to take our four applications from the passage. Let's review the five blessings that flow from citizenship before we get to that. Yes, I will put these up on the board for you. They're also on your handout, but for those of you at home, now you have them. Number one, we're no longer strangers and aliens. Number two, we're now fellow citizens with the saints. Number three, we're now members of the household of God. Number four, we have a firm foundation in Christ. And five, we're being built together into a holy temple. Those are the blessings. Those are blessings. No, those are just the scriptures. No, those are are blessings from God. Those are his gifts to you. So what does that mean for us as the people of God in this local church? I'm going to list four practical applications for us. Again, they're on your handout. And we'll put them up on the board. (coughs) We'll leave them up on the board while I describe them, which is going to take, oh, three, four hours. (laughs) Number one, number one, protect and preserve our unity in Christ. That's a duty, that's a responsibility of everyone sitting here this morning. Protect and preserve our unity. In Christ, let no one divide us. No one. No one on earth is an alien, a stranger to God. He knows every one of us, friend and foe alike. He made the world and everything in it, it says in Acts. So when it says that we're no longer aliens and strangers, it must refer to us. Us Christians. I've never met a Christian anywhere in the world that I did not have an immediate bond with. Have you? Some stranger on a bus, on a train, on a plane, in the supermarket, on a street corner. I'm a Christian. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. And then you high five one another. Because there's a whole lot said in that that both of you are submitted to and subscribe to and celebrate together. And no more needs to be saved than that. He is my Lord and he is your Lord as well. And we are brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ Oh, what a glorious meeting that is. We each have a unique story, don't we? Every one of us has a unique story. We're all products of our culture and our language and our race. But that does not divide us. Do not let those differences divide us. It must not divide us. It only makes us diverse as the people of God. We're like the robe of many colors that Joseph wore. It was a gift from his earthly father. And our diversity is a gift from our heavenly father. Our heavenly father. A gift. Our doors are open to every believer, both here and in our church and in our homes. There is more that unites us in Christ than separates us. We hear this said all the time. You'll see it on blogs all the time. You'll see it on bumper stickers all the time. Live accordingly. We once were far off from God and far off from one another. Peace was rare between us. It was fragile before Christ. But we have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself, he himself is our peace. We are made one in him and with him. He knows us by name. If that doesn't bring a tear to your eye, I don't know what will. He knows us by name. He loves us for who we are because we belong to him. We are made one in the body of Christ, one in the faith and one in the spirit. We share what no one else in this world has, which is peace with God. And here's what we're still working on. Peace with one another and peace with one another because of Christ. Because of Christ. Not because they're conforming to some standard we've set up for them. Not because they look like us and, 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 and speak like us or any of those other earthly things. That's, the, that's not what holds us together. It's just not it. It's because of Christ. All believers are welcome at his table to share his food and his drink, as we did the invitation this morning, together. And so let nothing, nothing, nothing divide us. That's what Satan is after. So when divisions begin in the church what's that caused by? Satan. That's his game. That's his goal. That's what he's after. Do us all a favor. Don't play his game. Don't do that. Number 2. Cherish and nurture your relationships with God and with fellow believers. No, wait a minute. That means like work. <laughs> That means, I like, I got to call people. You know, I got to actually sit down and talk with them. I got to spend time with them. You know, I got other things to do. Uh, no, not really. (laughs) No, not really. It all begins and ends there. We're going to spend eternity with each other. Get to know each other now. Do yourselves a favor. You don't have to like one another at the beginning, you know. You could like one another because of Christ. The household of God is not about a place. It's about a relationship. We are the household of God wherever we go. And wherever we are. We have a temporary home with God here on earth. And we have a permanent home that awaits us in heaven. Paul yearned to fold up this earthly tent that clothes us. That he might, quote, be further clothed. That mortality might be swallowed up by life. Wow. He was a poet in his own time, wasn't he? He understood that, quote, we have a building from God that awaits us, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, Second Corinthians 5, 4. But the relationship we have with God here on earth as his dearly beloved children is the same relationship we have with him for all eternity. I'm going to repeat that. The relationship we have with God here on earth as his dearly beloved children is the same relationship we have with him for all eternity. They're not different. So begin enjoying it now. Don't wait. (laughs) Don't wait. Enjoy your relationship with God now. We're related to God through the Son by the spirit. But while we're here on earth, we gather together as the household of God to share a meal together in the name of Christ. We did that this morning. We eat his flesh, which are the words he spoke to us, for they are spiritual food, and they give us life. And we drink his blood, which is true drink, that we may abide in him and he in us, that atoning blood. Whoever drinks the living water that flows from him will never thirst again. Ever been thirsty? Spiritually thirsty? Spiritually dry? Like you've been wandering in a desert for some time? I wandered in that desert for 20 years. And then someone opened up the fountain to me. Oh, my goodness. Life was never the same after. Never will be the same again. I hope that's true for you. Whoever drinks the living water which flows from him will never thirst again. They will never again wander in the desert without relief. All who believe in him will have rivers of living water flowing out of their hearts. That's who you are. Today, right now, this morning, that's who you are. You yourselves are a fountain of living water from which that living water flows out to everyone around you. Don't put a cork in it. Tell somebody else about your faith in Christ. Tell them what you've discovered in Christ. Tell them about the joy that you have in Christ. Tell them about the life to come, not just the life that is. You open up a conversation. Open it up that way. They go, What are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. And there goes your presentation of the gospel of the good news. God has set stewards over his household who are responsible to give us our portion of food at the proper time. Who's that? Yeah, the elders. Yeah. We're servants. We're servants. That's our job. We're stewards. We're here to serve you. We're here to make sure that you are fed and fed well and fed on time. Fed in a timely manner. You get the food that you need when you need it. Everybody doesn't have the same appetite, doesn't have the same needs at the same time. The challenge of eldership is to give each individual in this church what they need, what you need individually. Not one size fits all, not cookie cutter. That's where the work comes. That's where the work comes. That's why we need your prayers for us as we do that for you. And as a household, we have house rules to live by. That was a series of sermons I gave back in 2008. House rules. Those are the one and we find throughout the New Testament. So, I gave you a late Christmas present this morning. In your bulletin is a little white form and it's called one another's. Okay, those are your uh, house rules. How do we treat one another? So those of you to take home with you and to study, if anybody wants those and didn't get them, uh, sorry. Um, (laughs) I can print another stack and we can put them out here on the table for next week. You have a list of them in your bulletin. Take those to heart. We relate to God through the Son, by the Spirit, but we also also relate to one another through the Son by the spirit it's not because of our politics it's not because of our class it's not because of our it's only because of Christ we are each responsible to do that to relate to one another in love every one of us every one of us has that as our relationship as our responsibility as citizens of the kingdom be dutiful servants in that way number three stand firm in Christ together be of one mind. Live in peace. From 2 Corinthians 13, 11. We have a firm foundation in Christ, and therefore we can stand firm, no matter what comes our way. Yeah, I, I know that's what it says, but I have trouble believing that at times because it feels like I just got blown away, man. Uh, yeah. And that's where the belief and the faith comes in. I see the storm. It's a real storm. I have the suffering. I feel the suffering. These are not illusions, but I have Christ, and that's no illusion either, and I have my faith in Christ, and I can stand firm in Christ because of who he is, because of his love for me, and because I don't live here, and because my citizenship is in heaven. I can stand firm. You take all those truths, and you, you assemble them together, and all of a sudden, you've got a really strong anchor to hold on to. Oh, wait a minute. I think we sang about that. We can stand firm in the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We can stand firm whether we have a lot or a little because he's our sufficiency. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can stand firm when doubts rise up because even if we're faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We can stand firm together. Together. In the household of God. Though someone might prevail. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Though someone might prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him. A threefold cord cannot quickly be broken. That's us. We're that stranded cord. That's who we are to one another. That's where our strength comes from. But not from one another in particular. But from one another in Christ. Oh. Drawing our strength and our sufficiency from Christ. Oh. Oh. So when one of us gets weak, it takes the other strand to come alongside and say, let me repair. Let me help. Let me come alongside you. Let me help you in this moment. So this is simple. This is something Lynn and I were taught many years ago. Remember the three C's. Anybody know what those are? Do not criticize, condemn, or complain. The three C's. Don't do that. Don't do it here. Don't do it at home. Don't do it in the community. Don't criticize, condemn, and complain. That can become a really, really, really bad habit. Now I'll tell you. If that has become your habit, break it. If that has become your habit, break it. it. Has no place here. No CCCs. Replace them the three ups. What three ups? I'm glad you asked. Uphold. Uplift. Uplook. I'll repeat those. Uphold. Uplift. Uplook. Uphold other believers when they're speaking God's truth. Uphold them in that. Uphold them when you see others trying to tear them down. Uphold them when they're exhausted and feel like they can't go on. Sometimes suffering does that to you. You feel like throwing in a towel. Uphold them when they're doing what's right, especially when what they're doing is costly. They need somebody to come alongside and let them know that it's worth the cost, that it's worth the cost. We sometimes don't feel like it is. We need our brothers and sisters to come alongside us and tell us, to remind us, to encourage us that it's worth the cost. Uplift others when they're discouraged and feeling down. A lot of that going on in the past two years. When they doubt themselves. When they doubt God's truth or doubt his love. When they doubt that others can be trusted. Ever had that? I've spoken to you. Yeah, you do. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When they begin to despair of hope and when others are trying to pull them down, encourage them, comfort them, up look, up look. Is that like update? Is that like upscale? Is that like, no, no, no. Up look. Look up. Look up to get your eyes off this world. Look up and get your eyes off this world. Look up to remind yourself that you're always Always, always in God's sight and within his hearing. Oh. (laughs) And act accordingly. (laughs) God heard that. God saw that. Look up remembering who God is. Look up remembering who God is and what he has done to redeem and to preserve you. Look up with thanksgiving because of God's grace towards you, which you absolutely did not deserve. None of us did. Look up because of his majesty. Look up because of his majesty and because you belong to him. Look up. Look up. See your heavenly father. Number four, you are fellow citizens with the saints. Live as saints, as holy ones of God. You are being built together. We're growing together into a holy temple. In the Lord with him as the cornerstone from which the whole is built. And therefore, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? (laughs) Because you belong to him. Because you belong. Because that's who he is. You were bought with a price, redeemed from all that made you unholy, but now made perfectly righteous in Christ Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. He is our salvation. Let's testify of that together for all the world to see. To his glory. To his glory and not ours. I'm going to close with this. You are each and every one of you precious to me. You are each and every one of you. Even if this is your first time here. You are each and every one of you precious to me. You're each precious to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He has purchased each of us by name and has drawn all of us together. He's drawn all of us near. He holds each of us tightly. Our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his glory, but he's also jealous for our good. I like that idea. That God is jealous for my good. He's going to do everything he can to protect and preserve my good. To bring my good about in his will in this world and beyond. Together united as one with each other and with Christ. We are his holy bride without spot, without blemish in him. In him. We are related to him and in him we are related to one another. Forever. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Us, plural. And therefore, our relationship to one another is inseparable. So stop spinning your wheels trying to separate us, trying to divide us, trying to undermine us, trying to tear somebody else down that's a believer in Christ. Don't do that. Why not? Because you're inseparable. That's the fact of it. That's the truth of it. And therefore, live accordingly. Yeah, but I don't even like them. I know. That's all the more reason. That's all the more reason because they are precious in God's sight and therefore they're precious in your sight. Oh. Let's remind one another constantly (coughs) that we are fellow citizens. We are the household of God together and we're the temple of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, all these things are true. All these things are glorious. All these things are unexpected for anyone that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, you have drawn us together. You are building us together into your holy temple. Help us to realize and to understand and to act upon that. Help us to constantly look to the cornerstone. Am I lined up? Am I lined up? Am I lined up? up? That the walls of these living stones might be straight and true. That we might give you all the glory because you are all in all. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.